Last week, as you recall, all efforts to avert the war ended in futility. And now the Korvas and the Pandavas are going to go into the field of Kurukshetra and the battle is going to happen. That sooner or later, the battle has to be fought and uh, you have to kill your own relatives. But we're not quite there yet, but we will. <laughs> okay, any questions or thoughts left over from last week before we finish? Okay, tonight we're going to finish the story. So, all the armies are gathered, the Korva army led by Duryodhana on one side, and the Pandava off, uh, army with Yudhishthira, Arjuna, Bhima, Nakula, and Sahadev on the other. Um, on the side of the Korvas, Bhishma is elected commander-in-chief. Bhishma represents the ego, and the commander-in-chief of the materialistic forces is always the ego. And Duryodhana is wise enough to know, and he instructs all his men, above all, Bhishma must be protected. As you know, if anything happens to Bhishma, we're sunk. Um, Bhishma says that he will fight nobly and vigorously, that he owes it to Duryodhana to do it but he wants him to know that he doesn't approve of this war and that the Pandavas are indeed righteous and their cause is good. And he warns Duryodhana um, that he will lose. But he also tells him that the five Pandava brothers are like my sons, like my own children to me, and I will fight hard and vigorously, but I won't kill any of them. The ego can't destroy spiritual forces. It can fight against them, but it doesn't have the power to wipe them out. And he also says to Duryodhana that he doesn't like Karna, um, Radehi, and that he argues with my leadership and my ideas, and you can put him in charge if you wish, but I'm not going to work with him. And so Radehi says, well, I won't fight. He said, I'll stay off the battlefield until the time that Bhishma falls, and then I'll come in to slay Arjuna if needed. And Duryodhana agrees that that's the way the battle's going to be won. So the rules of warfare are really quite dharmic. This, is, this takes place at the Dwapara Yuga descending just as Kali Yuga is beginning. And that's one of the reasons that Krishna incarnated right at that point is that he had to transition the world from this higher, more dharmic age into this darker, more materialistic age. And you'll see as the battle progresses, um, there is this approaching darkness which takes everybody by surprise, everybody but Krishna. And Krishna actually engineers through the battle a certain amount of the disintegration of dharma that no one but him would have the nerve to do because this is why he was born. Krishna was Dwapara Yuga descending into Kali Yuga. Yogananda is, is Kali Yuga ascending into Dwapara Yuga, but they're almost at exactly the same place, which is interesting when you think of Krishna being Babaji, Arjuna being master, master on this side with Krishna now incarnated as Babaji, and that they're both sort of working in the same dimensions except... Krishna is bringing the society down to the lower level of the Kali Yuga age, and Master's bringing it out of that age, but it's the same approximate stage. So the, war, the rules of war at that time were still in place. They only fight during the day. Once the sun goes down, the battle is supposed to stop. If you're going to engage in single combat, it can only be among equals, that you can't, if you're uh, in a chariot, you can't attack a foot soldier, Anybody who turns away from the battle cannot be attacked. Um, horses to horses, foot soldiers to foot soldiers. And anyone who surrenders will be safe. Um, one who has stepped away from the battle 
can't just pick up a weapon and then engage in the battle unless he steps back onto the field. It's wrong to slay anyone who is unarmed, who is retreating, who has lost their armor, and no one who is not a soldier can be attacked. These were all the way war was carried on at those days. So now they all gather on the field, and there's this big collection of the conch shells and the drums and all the different sounds that are being made, and that's the sort of worldliness making its big noise. And Arjuna goes out. He has Krishna now as his charioteer. Krishna has agreed that he's going to drive his chariot, which actually is a great favor because driving a chariot is the job of a low-born person. In fact, you know, Rade was the son of a charioteer, and that was considered to be way beneath the kshatriya level. So for Krishna, who's a king, and really a kshatriya more than the equal of Arjuna, to be driving his chariot is a real act of, hu- of humble service. So it wasn't merely that he wasn't taking part in the war, but he was also performing an extremely humble service to Arjuna when, in fact, it was, not, it was way beneath him to be doing that. But so he drives... Uh, at, at Arjuna's request, Krishna drives him out between the two um, uh, armies, and Arjuna looks at the army, and he stands, and he sees all his brothers arrayed on this side, but when he looks on the other side, he sees his grandfather and all the elders who raised him, and he sees the cousins that he grew up with, and he sees uncles and all the people that, are, that he identifies as himself. In this sense, we, in this uh, context, we call them his relatives, his family. But the truth is that what it means is that he looks at them and he identifies them as himself. And he unstrings his bow, is how it's put in the story. But what that means is because the strung bow is the picture of the body in meditation, with the straight spine and the slightly arched chest, raised an arched chest, which is the curve of the bow itself, and the straight spine is the string. And so when Arjuna unstrings his bow... He slumps. He loses interest in this inner battle, which is what the field of Kurukshetra is, because he sees himself on the other side and he has affection for himself. He doesn't want to be at war with himself. And so he tells Krishna that he's really thought this over and it's just not worth it to him and he's not going to fight. And then what ensues is the conversation between Krishna and Arjuna, which has come down to us as the Bhagavad Gita. And it's all about... Um, the inner battle, and to a certain extent also about the outer battle, righteous warfare. When you are justified in turning against that which you have called yourself and, and going to war. And it's very important, of course, that Arjuna go to war because he represents the third chakra and where the fiery self-will goes, that's where all the chakras will follow it. The lower chakras will be raised or the upper chakras will be pulled down. So Krishna admonishes Arjuna and saying that you are using words that make you sound like a wise person, but really what you're expressing is ignorance and cowardice. And he says, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a kshatri is they will be accused of being a coward. He said, you'll go into this battle and you'll either triumph, in which case the kingdom will be yours, or you will die honorably, in which case you will have the good karma of having done that and you will be able to progress into your next life. But to simply not fight is simply not acceptable. And Krishna's pep talk buoys up Arjuna, and he's determined to go into the battle. But as you'll see, as the 18 days of the war progress, Arjuna remains a little bit ambivalent a lot of the time. And it's not until the very end that he finally commits himself completely. 
to fighting this battle. This is the story of the devotee. We're, we want to, we say we're going to, we're completely justified, we go forward, but then when it really comes down to it, and it's actually about, for example, killing the ego, we all of a sudden remember how much we like it. And then we back up again and we don't quite take the final step. Eventually, of course, Arjuna does everything that's asked of him, but many times over the 18 days there's an interplay that, like this first interplay between Krishna and Arjuna in which he hesitates. And then the Lord has to spur him on, often telling him, you know, overcome essentially your sentimental attachment to these things. There's a story about Sri Ramakrishna, who was a great devotee of the, uh, of the Divine Mother. And over the course of Sri Ramakrishna's sadhana years, different proponents of different paths would find him where he lived and help him to realize God in all these different ways. And finally, this guru named Totapuri came to him. And Totapuri was about, about uh, the non-dual aspect, the impersonal uh, non-dual aspect of, of, of spirit. And Ramakrishna kept trying to realize God in the formless way that uh, Totapuri was trying to get him to do. But he would always see a picture of the Divine Mother. He would see an image of the Divine Mother and he would become attached to that instead. And he... So finally, Totopuri, as the story is told, took a piece of ground of glass, broken glass, and, and ground it into his forehead here. Meditate on that point. And then when the image of the Divine Mother came um, in, in vision, Sri Ramakrishna picked up a sword and cut her in half and then transcended all forms and went into the formless state of God. Even Ramakrishna, it's a very interesting story. You know, he was held by his affection. And when it was time for him to transcend it, he still hesitated. Of course, he was an avatar, but that's how the story is told in any case. So Arjuna represents all of us. Now, everything is ready. Arjuna has been persuaded, and suddenly, Yudhishthira takes off his armor, and he puts aside his weapons, and even takes off his shoes, and he begins to walk over to the other side. Krishna and all of his brothers are quite alarmed by what he's doing, the Kauravas are frightened because it's such an unorthodox thing to do and all his brothers and Krishna rush in behind him and they follow his example and put down their arms. And what happens is Yudhishthira walks right through the Kaurava lines and he goes first to Bhishma, who is his grandfather, and he asks his permission to go to war. And then he goes to Drona and then he goes to each of the elders who is there and he pronoms to all of them and asks their permission to go to war and then they bless him in his efforts and in his righteousness, because in every way you just there is the personification of righteousness. Then he goes back and he puts on his weapons, and then they're ready to start. The battle lasts for 18 days, is how long it lasts. Bhishma leads the forces for 10 days. Drona, which is the power of habit, first the ego is in charge for 10 days, and then he falls. He doesn't die, but he falls on the battlefield. For five days, the power of habit takes over, and that's Drona, for two days, Radea, the last wish of happiness in this world, um, commands the army. And then on the final day, Salya commands the army, and he represents um, pride. So finally, everything is gone except pride, and pride lasts one more day, and then they're all wiped out. Okay. Now, the, the battles are described day by day, but it's not always so completely important to us to understand it day by day, but I'll just talk about some of the the most exciting and interesting events 
that happened as the days went by. And the battle goes back and forth, even though the victory of righteousness is assured. And even Duryodhana's mother, Gandhari, the blind, the woman who made her eyes blind so she could be blind like her husband, when Duryodhana comes and says he's going to war, she says to him, where there is dharma, there is victory. And she warns him that dharma is not on his side. But even though Krishna is fighting for Arjuna, and even though everyone knows that the Pandavas have righteousness on their side, it is a fierce battle and very often the outcome is in doubt. And it is only finally determined when every ounce of energy on the Pandava's side is fearlessly and unsentimentally directed toward the single objective. So the, the repetition of all the ins and outs of the fight and the discouragement on one side and the discouragement on the other and the elation on one side and the elation on the other is all meant for us to really understand merely to decide to go to war even when we know what the outcome is going to be this by no means absolves us from the necessity to fight our way through it we can object to this we can uh, rebel against it we can weep tears of pity or anger because we have to do it, but it makes no difference, we still do. And the whole 18-day battle is really about that. One of the great warriors on the side of the Pandavas is a hero named Abhimanyu. And Abhimanyu is one of Arjuna's sons, and he's considered to be almost as great as his father, and Abhimanyu's name means self-mastery. Arjuna's name means self-control, so they mean almost the same thing. Self-mastery is the equal of self-control. And Abhimanyu attacks all these different Korava qualities. You know, pride, anger, greed. And he just keeps fighting at them. And he has the, his self-mastery just plows right through their ranks. Because, of course, if you're master of yourself, nothing can really touch you. I remember with a young friend, I was trying to persuade him of the benefits of the spiritual path, and his worldly desires conflicted a little bit with his slight attraction to the path, which was only slight. And I was trying to give him practical reasons why meditation and other of our practices would benefit. And speaking of many of the things he desired in his life, I would discuss with him, what do you think the biggest obstacle to your achievement is? And after some you know, thoughtful discussion, he, was, he freely admitted himself. You know, his laziness, his fear... His lack of concentration, his misunderstanding, it's always oneself. That's the biggest obstacle you face. And therefore, anything that increases your self-mastery is actually going to increase your success no matter what way you direct it. And so Abhimanyu is winning the battle of Kurukshetra and just plowing through the ranks. And his uh, tremendous ability, you know, makes a big dent in the core of an um, army. But Bhishma and Drona are still entirely in charge. And even the Pandavas cannot free themselves yet. Drona, the power of habit. Bhishma, the power of the ego. And even though they hammer somewhat against him, they can't succeed. And Duryodhana is jubilant. He's extremely pleased that night. He thinks, how can we lose? With the great Bhishma in charge, with the great Drona on our side, we will win. Power of material desire, supported by the ego, and supported by all the samskars that keep moving us in that direction, he thinks that we'll be victorious. So 
The next day, the second day of the battle, Arjuna tries to take on Bhishma. Every day the question is, is today the day that self-control is going to face the ego? And he tries, but the ego is too strong. Bhishma is too, too strong. And, they, and uh, Bhishma is able to hold off Arjuna, and Arjuna is not able to stop him. Drishtadyumna, who you know was born as the son of Drupada, after Drona insulted Drupada the king, who'd promised him half the kingdom, Drona got the Pandavas to pay back uh, Dakshina, the Guru Dakshina, by capturing Drupada and taking away half his kingdom. And then, then Drupada said, I'm going to have a son who's going to kill Drona. So everyone knows that Drishtadyumna is destined to kill Dr- Drona. His name means the calm inner light. The calm inner light can wipe out the force of habit. So Drishtadyumna tries to kill Drona, but it's not yet time. The battle is too new. They can fight against each other, but it's not time yet for the samskars to be really wiped out. This is just the second day. So Bhima has to come and rescue him. Many Kauravas are killed, but the Pandavas succeed on that day. So Duryodhana, his, his mood is completely dependent on how things go. Today it went well, he's elated. Today it goes badly, he's despondent. On the next day, Bhima's son, Gatakocha, Gatakacha, I can't really say his name right, I'll pronounce it the way I usually do. He comes out into the field. Remember when Bhima had a son with the Rakshasha lady, Hidimba, Hidimbi? So this is this great and powerful son. And as I said, he plays an important part in the, uh, in the whole battle. And he comes and joins his father, and the two of them are nearly invincible. And they actually attack Duryodhana. Now remember Bhima? Back when Draupadi was insulted, he swore he was going to kill Duryodhana and every one of his brothers. He said when Duryodhana opened his dress to show his leg to Draupadi as if to attract her to him, Bhima swore that he would break that thigh, those thighs. And he also said that he would tear out the heart of Duryodhana's brother Dusasana and in front of him drink his blood. So Bhima, there's a hundred brothers Duryodhana has, so Bhima just starts systematically, and he just starts killing one after the other. Bhima represents the vitality of the heart, the, the power of love, the power of that force. And Duryodhana and all his brothers represent the power of material desire. And so Bhima has to turn the love of his heart against that family so that he can turn that love in an upward-moving direction. So all through these days of battle, he's constantly seeking out one after another of Duryodhana's brothers, and one by one taking them down. He attacks Duryodhana and actually knocks him unconscious, but his men take him away. Then he comes back, and he goes to Bhishma, and again, he tells Bhishma, you're not trying hard enough. All the way through, King Material Desire tells the ego, you're not trying hard enough to beat these people back. You should be working harder for me. And Bhishma says, I'm doing everything I can. They're simply more powerful than I am because ultimately the forces that transcend the ego are more powerful than the ego. But the desire that Duryodhana has to be ultimately triumphant makes him feel that somebody ought to do something. And like a child, he's always arguing with that. Um, Krishna takes Arjuna again to fight with Bhishma. And Arjuna fights with Bhishma, but Krishna can see clearly that he's half-hearted in his efforts. And even though Krishna, as the Lord and the inner voice, keeps saying, you must, you know, uh, 
strengthen your commitment and really slay the ego here. You must kill the grandfather. Arjuna just won't quite do it. Krishna becomes completely impatient with Arjuna and needs to show him what is needed. And he says, you know, I swore that I won't fight, but if you're not going to fight this man, I will. And he jumps out of the chariot and he becomes Lord Vishnu with his discus in his hands and he goes rushing toward Bhishma. Bhishma, of course, knows that Krishna is the Lord. And Bhishma drops his weapons and says, oh, what a blessing to be killed by you, like this. And he opens his arms, ready to die. But Arjuna, of course, realizes that Krishna is stepping in because Arjuna is failing in his duty. And he rushes to Krishna and pleads for forgiveness and promises that he will. He will carry out the commission that Krishna has given him. Please give me another chance. Don't break your word. And so Arjuna fights on, but Bhishma lives another day. Okay. On the fourth day, Bhima continues to plow through the brothers of Duryodhana and his son Gadakacha does tremendous damage. Gadakacha is becoming this terrible threat to the core of an army because he has all of Bhima's strengths plus the strength of being half Rakshasha. And the offspring of these divine qualities, all the sons of all the Pandavas are tremendous warriors. It's like these good qualities give birth to more good qualities and then those good qualities added to the original, have this tremendous strength. And that evening, Duryodhana rails again at Bhishma for not working hard enough for him. Okay. On the fifth day, Duryodhana goes after Drona. He says, also, Bhima keeps killing my brothers and nobody is really fighting for me. So they fight on, and Drona becomes so angry that even after the sun goes down, they keep fighting. So on the, sixth, on the fifth day, the boundaries of Dharma are beginning to weaken because the sun has gone down, and yet they still keep fighting. Now the um, chaos of conflict and war is beginning to destroy everyone's judgment, and they're Uh, The forces of temper and fury are beginning to get a little bit out of control. And it's also, we're we're just transitioning now from Dwapara Yuga into Kali Yuga. And so that which was self-evidently, that men were self-evidently capable of following is becoming harder to follow. And also these are just simply examples of once conflict starts, you know, honor is often sacrificed. Just a moment. Abhimanyu, on the sixth and seventh day, Bhima keeps killing the brothers. Abhimanyu is a great hero. At one point, Abhimanyu decides that he's going to take on his father's job, and he goes and he attacks Bhishma, and then Bhishma comes back and fights with fury, and all five of the Pandavas come with Abhimanyu to try to attack Bhishma, but Bhishma holds them all at bay. As long as the ego is determined not to give in to these forces, he still has the upper hand. On the ninth day, Duryodhana again complains to Bhishma. And Bhishma assures him that he's pouring out his life for Duryodhana, but you are reaping your own karma, he says. The ego tries to reason, even with material desire. Look, this is not really going to work for you. You know, 
Bhishma is fighting for Duryodhana's cause, but you have to keep remembering he's equally the grandfather to both sides. He, however, has been fed and nurtured and has lived, lived off the bread of the table of Duryodhana. He's been part of that kingdom and he has to, has a, he's obligated to fight for him, but he's not blinded entirely to what's going on. And he tells Duryodhana again that you, there's no dharma on your side. It's not going to work. Um, just a moment. But Bhishma decides that if Duryodhana is angry with him, he needs to prove his loyalty And so he fights with even more strength. And once again, Krishna drives Arjuna over there and he says, look, the force of this one man, he's wiping out our armies. If you love your brothers and if you love your soldiers, you must do something about him. So the Lord takes him over again, puts him right in front of the ego, puts him right in front of Bhishma, you know, encourages him and arms him, tells him this is what he needs to do. And Arjuna tries a little bit, Once again, Krishna becomes so impatient. Once again, he dismounts and is going to fight the battle. Once again, Bhishma opens his arms to welcome death at the hands of the Lord. But Arjuna persuades Krishna not to do it. Now, it's just a repeating story, but there we are. This is the prince of devotees. The prince of devotees is in a battle for his life. The Lord is right by his side and telling him what to do. And repeatedly, Arjuna says, I'm trying, I'm trying. And Krishna says, no, you're not. And Krishna and Arjuna has to look within himself, if you're going to use this as a story of our own lives, he has to look within himself and say, why am I not trying? And then the Lord creates this big chaos. I'm going to step in for you. But Arjuna knows that this is his duty. It's a battle he has to fight himself. No one can do it for him. And so once again, see Arjuna, all through this, he starts the battle by saying, I'm not sure I want to fight. Three, twice more, Krishna takes him in front of the one who must be slayed if their side is going to be victorious. And both times, Arjuna can't quite bring himself to do it. So these are the stories of our own lives. You know, we, we, we talk a really good line. We make lots of oaths. We say we're going to do this. We stand strong when nobody is challenging us and declare you know, how detached we're going to be and how glad we're going to be to face our faults and overcome them. And then just a couple of little ones come up and sort of nibble around our ankles and we just fall to pieces. Um, Arjuna was braver than that. But nonetheless, when he was right up against it twice, with Krishna pushing behind him, he still couldn't quite do it. So finally, that evening, all the Pandavas led by Krishna, guided by Krishna, realize that They're they're not making any headway against Bhishma. So that night, they go in the night to Bhishma's tent, the five brothers. And they stand in front of him and they say to Bhishma, you know that we are destined to win this war. And in order to do that, Arjuna has to slay you. How can we kill you, grandfather? You have to help us to do this. And that's the paradox, you see, of the whole thing, that the ego is really ready to give up. Bhishma's tired of his life. He's been trapped in this physical body. Remember, he was cursed a long time ago, and he had to be born and live this long life. All of his other buddies got to be killed as babies, but he was stuck. But he had the boon to die when he was ready to die, and he's ready to die, but he can't until he finishes this last duty 
But the spiritual qualities come to him and they say, help us. How can we slay you? Give us the secret of, of your own death, of persuading you to give up and let us rule. Now, the story has it, you remember, that Amba, the woman whose life he ruined because he took her to be the bride uh, of his brothers, of his half-brothers, and she couldn't marry him, and then she wouldn't marry the one she'd selected, and it just became a mess. She determined so strongly that she was going to be the death of this man, that she was born as a woman, but then went off and did the rites and austerities necessary to become a man. So her name is uh, Shikandan. And Bhishma considers her still to be a woman because he still knows that she's Amba, reincarnated. And it's against the code of a kshatriya to fight with a woman. So he says, bring her in front of me. She was born to kill me. She was born to slay me. And it's never a clear idea exactly what she represents or why exactly. They try to make this relationship between how she hated him, but she loved him. I can never really make that all work out. Somehow or another, I think it's just a great part of the story. There she is. Karma catches up with us. Bhishma says to them, if you bring her in front of me, I won't fight against her. And if she's in front of me, use her as a shield. Arjuna can hide behind her. But only Arjuna can slay me. Only Self-control can, can slay the ego. Nothing else can do it. You have to just re-identify with another reality. You have to be so controlled in yourself that you have um, transcended all the power that the ego has to hold you in, and keep you in this world. So on the 10th day, with Shikandan as the shield, Arjuna once more attacks Bhishma. And now they have the grandfather's permission. And twice Arjuna has failed but this time he's going to succeed. And Shikandan shot many arrows at Bhishma, but Bhishma would not fight against her. He refused to take up arms against her. And Arjuna was also shooting arrows into Bhishma. And Bhishma spoke of the wonderful pain that Arjuna's arrows were causing him. And he was grateful for every arrow that Arjuna shot into him. And they fought back and forth, but Bhishma still was obligated to do his very best to battle Arjuna and to make Arjuna use every power that he had to do it. And finally, he, the whole battle on the whole field had stopped and everyone was watching. Shikandan in front of Arjuna. She was also fighting him, but Arjuna's arrows were the ones that were penetrating. And finally, he was so covered with arrows that the moment had come and he fell from his chariot and he fell to the ground. And then everyone stopped fighting. And all the soldiers gathered around and Bhishma was stretched out and his body was so full of arrows that when he hit the ground, he was supported by a bed of arrows. He didn't actually lie on the earth. And Duryodhana comes over too because you know, he's his grandfather, he's the commander-in-chief, he's been counting on him and now he's fallen on the field and Bhishma doesn't have anything supporting his head, and he asks for something to support his head. And Duryodhana brings him a, 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 a jeweled cushion, and Bhishma just rejects it. I don't want anything from you. He says, Arjuna, give me what I need. And Arjuna understands what Bhishma wants, and he shoots three arrows, and the three arrows support his head. Bhishma says, ah, that's just what I need. And then Bhishma says that he is thirsty. And again, he turns to Arjuna Now that he's decided to give his life up, he's surrendering it happily to the one who has mastered him. 
And Arjuna shoots an arrow into the ground, and it's said that the river Ganga, who is the mother of Bhishma, comes underground and sprouts up and makes a fountain to give her son a drink. But as it turns out, it's not an auspicious time astrologically to die. <laughs> That's how they put it. That a certain star is, has to, where they have to wait till a certain star reverses its orbit and starts to go back in a northerly direction. And so he says, I'll just lie here on my bed of arrows until that auspicious time comes, and then whoever may be alive can come back and see me in that moment before I depart. And then Bhishma makes one last effort, and he says to Duryodhana, make peace with the Pandavas. Because now that the ego is giving itself up, he knows that Duryodhana is doomed, and he encourages him to surrender to the power of the Pandavas, but Duryodhana absolutely refuses. Then Radeya hears. Now Radeya hasn't been fighting, remember, because he said he wouldn't fight until Bhishma falls. So now Bhishma has fallen on the field of battle. So late that night, when no one else is around, Radeya goes out to see Bhishma. Now, remember, Radeya knows that Bhishma is also his grandfather. You know, he's lived with Duryodhana, but Bhishma has never liked Radeya. He's always been rude to him. He's always been insulting to him. He feels that he goads Duryodhana on to things he shouldn't really be goading him on to do. But late at night, he goes out there. Radeya goes out to visit Bhishma. Bhishma's all alone. And Bhishma urges Radeya to give up the battle, to persuade Duryodhana to make peace. And Bhishma is very determined to persuade him. So he says, I know who you are. And he tells Radeya, Bhishma thinks for the first time, that he is really the eldest of the Pandavas and that he is the son of Kunti. And Radeya says, I know. And Bhishma is astonished. You've been told and you're still fighting this battle? And he says, yes, Krishna told me. Krishna told me before the battle, but I love Duryodhana. And Duryodhana has loved and supported me when no one else in the world would support me, and I owe him a debt. Bhishma reflects on that for a moment, and then he says, what you are doing is right. Bhishma is the soul of right action. Later in the story, he gives a whole dissertation on the duty of kings. Bhishma looks at him and realizes that if you were to forsake Duryodhana now, out of self-interest, it would not be honorable. And Bhishma bows to him in respect. Radeya asks for Bhishma's blessings. Bhishma blesses him and even wishes him success on the battlefield. And so for the first time, the next day, um, they take over. uh, Radeya enters the field. Now Drona takes over for Bhishma. He's now the head of the Kaurava army. The ego has died, so habit takes over. Samskars. That's what happens. We go like this for a while, and even when, when, when that sort of conscious will begins to lose, just habit takes over. So Drona becomes the commander-in-chief, and he's in charge for five days. And they come up with a plan. Duryodhana has a plan that they will capture Yudhisthira alive. They won't kill him. They'll just capture him. And they'll capture him and bring him back. And Duryodhana's thought is that he will lure him into another game of dice. 
You know, Duryodhana never gives up. He always thinks that there's some other way that he's going to make it work. And Radea always, you know, pushes him along. Now, isn't this the way it really works in our lives? We have these desires and we think they're going to work out. That's what Radea represents is the thought that somehow I can make this work out. And Duryodhana always has another desire. There's always another plan. How many people do you know in your life who just keep doing the same thing? If one thing doesn't work, they try another. And the whole project, it's self-evident from another perspective, is doomed from the start because it's unsound. But nonetheless, those desires just keep pushing you on and pushing you on. So now Duryodhana has this idea, let's capture Yudhisthira alive, and then we can perhaps lure you into another game of dice. Well, Drona really likes this because he doesn't want to kill any of the Pandavas, even though he's promised to fight. So he makes a vow that he's going to capture him. So, Drona tries all that day, but he never succeeds him. Succeeds because Arjuna is always next to you, dish there, and Arjuna always manages to save him every time. On the twelfth day, the Korvas plan that they will distract Arjuna, and so a group of soldiers makes a solemn vow to fight until the death with Arjuna's suicide squad gets engaged. And... Uh, They pledge that they're going to fight Arjuna to the death, and they keep him distracted all day. And Drona comes very, very close to capturing Yudhishthira. This is the power of habit, attacks dharma, and calmness in psychological battle, which Yudhishthira represents. And Drona keeps coming really close to taking him over, really close. But Arjuna's, the power of self-control is hanging around close to him, and, and the samskars can't quite pull Yudhishthira away. But he keeps trying. The samskars keep trying, and they come very, very close, but not quite yet. Now, on the 13th day, once again, the suicide squad, as they are, these powerful soldiers, have, agree, have agreed that they're going to engage Arjuna all day. And so they, they drag him off to a far, the far side of the battlefield. And then Drona arranges his army in a very complicated form. Every day, every day they tell you how each of the armies is arranged and what it means and whether it's a crescent or a lotus or the form of an eagle and which heroes are standing where. It's all very elaborate. So Drona sets up a very complicated... Um, uh, just a second, Miss. A very complicated, I'm just trying to just get one little point here. Yes. A very complicated uh, arrangement here. And the Kauravas and the Kaurava army is really hurting the Pandava army because this complicated form is just rolling over them. Now Arjuna is far away. And here's the problem. Arjuna knows how to break into this uh, form of the Kaurava army. And he knows how to break it up and, and crack its power. Abhimanyu also knows how to get into it and to break it apart. But the problem is it's very complex, and Arjuna has taught Abhimanyu how to get into it, but he has not taught him how to get out of it again. They haven't had that lesson yet. So they have a conversation with the other four Pandavas who are there, and the conversation is, well, if you can crack into it, we'll be right behind you and we'll follow you in. And Abhimanyu says, well, if you know that I'd, if I get trapped in there, I can't get out, no worry. 
And of course, he's their son as much as everyone is their son. They're his uncles, but they consider him a son. And they know that he's Arjuna's pride and joy. And they agree, okay, we'll do this. Now, they don't take into account one very serious factor. There's a, there is a powerful king named Jayadratha. And he has been given a boon. And his name is body-bound inclinations. <laughs> okay, those desires based on the body. And he's been given a boon that he can hold the Pandavas at bay for the course of one day as long as Arjuna is not there. As long as self-control is not there, he can hold the others for one day. So what happens is, Abhimanyu, glorious Abhimanyu, dives into this form of the Korava army, and just as he was taught, he breaks it. But the other four Pandavas who are right behind him are interrupted by Jayadratta. Jayadratta, and he stops them. And Abhimanyu just sails in all the way and suddenly realizes that the others are behind him, that they are, they're not behind him, that they're far behind him. And the four Pandavas are beside themselves, and the four of them fight with this one king, but this king has a boon. And so no matter how hard they try, they can't penetrate it, and the core of an army just closes up behind them. Well, Abhimanyu is a powerful man, and he's inside, and he's destroying you know, they tell you tens of thousands of soldiers. I don't know how many hundreds of hundreds of thousands they had if you added up all the numbers. And they're, he, he's just wreaking havoc. And none of the individual Korova warriors, not they all fight with him. Drona, Aswatama, Drona's son, Radeya, Sakuni, Salya, they all fight with him individually and they can't beat him. And he's wreaking havoc. And finally... Um, Drona declares that he has to be killed and the only way he can be killed is if all six of these great warriors gang up on him at once. So on this day, the 13th day, one of the most undharmic acts of the whole war is fought. And one comes up behind Abhimanyu and cuts the string of his bow and another comes and hits him from another side and it takes all six of them, but in the end Abhimanyu is killed. And meanwhile the Pandavas are just... um, trapped, and they can't do anything about it. And Abhimanyu falls to the ground and dead. One son, one of Duryodhana's brothers, is so appalled by the dishonorableness of this that he puts down his weapons and refuses to fight anymore. Now the word comes back to the Pandavas that Abhimanyu was killed, and how he was killed. And great sorrow descends on the Pandava camp. Meanwhile, Arjuna comes back from where he's been engaged this whole time. And usually when he comes back to the camp, Abhimanyu is there to greet him. All his brothers are there to greet him. But no one is there to greet him. And even when he sees those who are usually jubilant, because Arjuna has been triumphant this day, nobody will even look at him. And finally he comes and finds Yudhisthira, and Yudhisthira is completely distraught. And he blames himself because he promised Abhimanyu And when Arjuna hears that Abhimanyu went in, he immediately says, but he doesn't know how to get out. And then they tell him not only that he was killed, but he was killed in this most dishonorable way, and that Jayadrata kept the Pandavas from following him in. 
So Arjuna makes an absolute vow that the next day he will kill Jayadrata or he will kill himself. Now, Jayadrata, who is terrified, he's, you know, he's bound to his body, he's afraid of death, of losing his body, he wants to just flee back to his kingdom, but Duryodhana promises him, we'll put the entire core of an army between you and Arjuna, and it's, it, they say it's 12 miles that Arjuna is going to have to fight through before he can reach you. So the next day dawns, and Arjuna is absolutely determined. And first he's held off by Drona, and he couldn't beat Drona. He couldn't master him, so he just withdraws from the fight, the fight, circumambulates his chariot in respect, and then just goes on past him. Duryodhana is given magic armor for this one day, and Arjuna has to fight with him and only manages barely to um, disarm him. Duryodhana sends, Yudhishthira becomes afraid and he sends Satyaki, who's a disciple of Arjuna, and Bhima to go help Arjuna in this fight. And meanwhile, this, there's the constant struggle and everybody's watching the sun and they all know that if, if uh, Arjuna doesn't make it, then it's going to be the end of his life. And so there's a king named Boris Ravas, who is a traditional enemy of Satyaki's. And they do, a, they do battle together. And Satyaki gets knocked onto the ground, and Boris Ravis is mad with, his, uh, with the lust of the war, and he grabs Satyaki by the hair, and he begins to drag him, which is a very dishonorable thing to do. This is the death of Dharma again. And he's about to cut off Satyaki's head, and Krishna says, you know, you must stop him from doing that. And so Boris Ravis has his arm upraised, and Arjuna sends a, an arrow. Let me just make sure I get this right. And he cuts off his arm. Well, now Arjuna has done a very dishonorable deed. Now everything is justified because of the way they killed uh, Abhimanyu. But now that they've killed Abhimanyu, Arjuna can fight this man from behind, but Krishna is urging him to do it. Okay? So then Boris Ravis feels that this was such a dishonorable task, he decides he, he's just going to sit down and meditate. He's not going to fight anymore. And in the meantime, Satyaki comes out of the stupor that was induced by the battle. And while Boris Ravis is sitting there meditating, having put down his weapons, Satyaki comes up with a, a sword in his hand and cuts his head off. And so now all sides... Are, are battling adharmically. And in all cases, Arjuna, a Krishna, justifies all of this wrong action. But meanwhile, all this time is passing. And finally, Arjuna gets close enough to fight with Jayadrata. And the sun is going down, and all the other soldiers keep trying to delay him and delay him and delay him. And Krishna is becoming more and more alarmed because Arjuna must fulfill this and finally, um, the sun goes dark. And everyone is elated because they think that the day is over and Arjuna has failed. But just in that moment, Krishna tells Arjuna, now is the moment. And Arjuna cuts off the head of this man, and then he dies. Now, and at that moment, the darkness lifts. 
and we see that the sun has not really set, that Krishna has just simply imposed darkness. And everyone cries, Krishna himself has done a foul deed, and everyone argues back and forth about dharma, but Krishna asserts that the age has changed and these measures are required now. Okay. So now on the 15th day, Krishna announces that Drona must be killed. Samskar habit has to be wiped out, and he's too powerful. He's too powerful to be killed by honorable means, and only dishonorable means will work. So, Bhima sends, Drona is quite attached to his son Ashwatthama, so Bhima sends, uh, uh, Krishna sends Bhima off, and he goes off to a place where there's an elephant named Aswatthama, and Bhima kills the elephant. And then he comes back to Drona, and he says, Aswatthama is dead. And Drona doesn't believe for a moment what Bhima is, is telling him. But then a little bit of doubt comes into him, and he turns to Yudhishthira, and he says, you know, you've never said a lie in your life, and if you tell me that my son is dead, I will believe you. And so at Krishna's urging, Yudhishthira says to Drona, Ashwatthama is dead, and then quietly says, the elephant. (laughs) But at that point, he gave up his interest in life. He sat down on the floor of his chariot. He laid down his weapons and Drishtadyumna, who was born to kill him, comes and cuts off his head. So by now everything has gone. So now Drona is gone. And now Radea becomes the new commander-in-chief. And Radea, as you remember, has promised Kunti that he will only kill one of the Pandavas. And since he has entered the field of battle... He has systematically been fighting with each of the other four brothers. And each of the brothers he makes helpless. He takes away their weapons. He has them in his power. He could take away their lives. Instead, he insults them. But then he lets them go. Which is a bit of a puzzlement to everyone, but nonetheless, we're watching him do it. So now... It's the 16th day has passed, and that night Duryodhana is with Radehi, and he says, tomorrow I will meet Arjuna in battle. And Radeya knows that his, he's doomed. He remembers the two curses that he's operating under. His guru had told him when he found out that he must be a kshatriya, even though he pretended to be not a kshatri, and he cursed him, he said, at the moment that you need it, oh, I forgot one very important part here. When Indra took the um, shield and earrings from Radea, remember he came to him after his noon and he took it away from him, and even though Radea knew that it was being taken from him so that he would be defeated in battle later with Arjuna, um, Indra was so impressed by the nobility of Radea that he gave him a boon, which is one weapon. And that weapon was so powerful, he said, but you can only use it once. And Radea said, that doesn't matter, I have one enemy, I need it one time. But earlier, after the time when Abhimanyu was killed, when the battle raged again into the night, Bhima's son, Gadakocha, who was so powerful anyway, became more powerful at night and had the power to fly and to expand his form, and he was simply 
destroying the core of an army because they were in this night battle. Nothing could stop him. And, and he, was, he was terrifying the core of the soldiers because he had these magic powers and they just couldn't combat him. And finally, Duryodhana comes to Radeya and he says, you must do something to stop him. And Radeya sees that, in fact, if this one soldier is not stopped, the battle is lost, and he knows he has one weapon that's powerful enough, which is the, the weapon that, that Indra gave him, the Shakti of Indra, it's called. Yeah. Yes, so he has the mighty weapon. And so he realizes that fates are against him. He has no choice. And he uses that powerful weapon, and Gatakocha is killed, and in the last moment before he dies, he has the presence of mind to expand his body as large as it can be expanded. So when he falls from the sky, he crushes a large section of the uh, core of the army, but the battle is saved. But Radei knows that now the only weapon that he had that was strong enough to use against Arjuna has been taken away from him. So now this night he knows he's He's met and conquered every one of the other four brothers. He knows the only one left to meet is Arjuna. And he realizes that this is his last night of life. And he's so weary of all that has gone, the the heartbreak of his life. And he's had to fight and humiliate his brothers, even though now he feels nothing but affection for them. But out of loyalty to Duryodhana, he has to do this, and out of kshatriya duty. So he knows that this is going to be the day. And he asks that Salyo become his charioteer because Salyo is a great warrior. Salyo at first rebels against this because it's a low-born thing to do, but finally Duryodhana persuades him that Radeya must have a charioteer as powerful as Krishna. And now Salya, remember, is the uncle of the Pandavas. He's the, the brother of the mother Madri, the mother of the twins. And so he accidentally got drawn into Yudhish, to Duryodhana's army because he accepted Duryodhana's hospitality and his, his downfall is pride, and he was honored by the great gifts that were given to him. But then Yudhishthira got him to promise that when Radei goes to fight, you will be his charioteer. Yudhishthira seems to know this, and you must dishearten him. So now fate plays together, and Salya becomes his charioteer, and as they're heading off to fight the Pandavas, Salya starts mocking Radea. It's almost unbearably painful when you read this story how poor Radea is just trying so hard and now his very charioteer is mocking him. But Radea says, I understand where your loyalty is, but say no more. And Salya then goes silent. He feels he's kept his promise to Yudhisthira. And then what happens, interestingly, is Radea begins to fight his nobility of character, his courage, his power as a warrior begins to win Salya over. And even though he first disheartens him on the half of Yudhisthira, this is what happens with pride. You know, it gets, it understands for a while and then it gets a little confused. And so now suddenly he's against the Pandavas and on Radea's side again. So finally, they come together and Karna and Arjuna begin to fight. Radea and Arjuna begin to fight. And they have um, magical mantras and all these different things that they fight with. And uh, Radea is very, very powerful, and the fight goes on and on and on. And all the while they're fighting, Radea is thinking, you know, that this is my younger brother, and here I'm trying to kill him, and 
oh, there could have been an alternate life in which we could have lived together. We could have been so happy together, and yet this is what fate has, has dictated. And finally, um, he unleashes, Radea unleashes a very powerful Astra weapon at Arjuna, and it's aimed going right at him. And Salya suggests that he aim lower, or that he send a secondary weapon also at his chest because it's aimed right at his head. But Radea doesn't listen, and the, the, the weapon goes out. And just at that moment, Krishna sees it coming, and he sinks Arjuna's chariot five inches into the ground. And so that which was going to hit him right in the head instead knocks off his crown. But he's saved. And Radea again realizes he is protected by Krishna. There is nothing that anyone can do because he is protected by the Lord himself. And meanwhile, while the fighting's going on, the wheel of Radea's chariot is gradually getting stuck in the mud. So intermittently, while he's trying to do battle, he has to jump out and he keeps trying to lift the chariot. But the chariot is getting stuck because this was the curse of the Brahmin. And as he's doing that, his mind, he's discovering his mind is becoming less and less clear. And he can't really remember, you know, all the weapons that he has and what he's supposed to do. And finally, Krishna declares, now is the moment. And while Radhe is there trying to pull his chariot out of the mud, Arjuna aims a powerful arrow. And Radhe is killed. His head is severed from his neck. His body falls over, and this beautiful light, everyone on the field sees this beautiful light ascend to heaven, and the incarnation of Radea is over. Let's take a very short break. When Duryodhana hears that his friend Radea has died, he's absolutely heartbroken. And for a while, he's just going to leave the field of battle, but um, he puts Salya in charge but he is quickly defeated by Yudhisthira, who they say fights with an anger that they have never seen before, and Shalya's material pride. And Yudhisthira just wipes pride off the map, and that's the end of it. And all of Duryodhana's brothers have been killed now by Bhima, and in one horrible scene in front of, of Duryodhana, Bhima keeps his vow, and he kills Dusasana, and he cuts him open and he drinks his blood, just as he said he would. I mean, it's just fearsome and terrible for everyone, but in the middle of this conflict, this is a promise that Bhima had made in anger when Dusasana humiliated and insulted and abused his wife, and he said he would do this, and so he did. So there's only, only Duryodhana is left. And Duryodhana has now, because he's, he's so um, mercurial and full of emotions, and now that Radea has died, he, he feels that he simply needs to cool himself off. So he goes off, and he takes his mace, his single weapon, and he goes inside a lake. And how exactly he goes inside the lake, we don't know, but he, he, he wants to cool himself in the cool water. And so the Pandavas are looking everywhere for him and finally they find him in the lake and they stand on the side the five pandavas and they begin to taunt him you know here you are you coward everyone else has died and you vowed all these things and you're not following through on them and finally 
Duryodhana rouses himself enough and he comes out of the water. And then Yudhisthira says, and Duryodhana says, well, there's five of you, are all five going to fight against me? That's not honorable. And then he lists out all the other dishonorable things that he says they've done. Satyaki killed Boris Ravas when he wasn't looking and Arjuna killed Jayadrata by Krishna's trick and Yudhisthira lied. But Krishna will have none of this. And he says that, you know, Duryodhana, you're the dishonorable one. Every dishonorable thing brought this to you. And this is the age that we live in now. And this is how good and evil have to fight. And so Yudhishthira now um, declares that, you know, we won't all five of you fight. You you would just fight one of us, whoever one you want to fight. And then Yudhishthira impulsively says... And if you win, you can have the whole kingdom back. Krishna is enraged. Yudhisthira's constant effort to make peace and to say things that are not wise. So Duryodhana decides to fight with Bhima. And the two of them begin to do battle. And Krishna says, you know, Duryodhana is stronger than Bhima. And the two of them begin to fight, and they begin to fight and fight and fight and fight, and Bhima simply cannot get the upper hand, and it's going on and on and on. And Yudhisthira has promised he's going to give the whole kingdom back. And finally, Krishna whispers to Arjuna, remember the vow that Bhima took, that he would break the thighs of Duryodhana. And so Arjuna gets Bhima's attention, and he slaps his leg very hard like that. And in that moment, Bhima picks up his mace and he smashes the thighs of Duryodhana. This is a blow below the waist. This is completely dishonorable. And Duryodhana falls over. And now he's mortally wounded. And he declares to Bhima, you know, I, I'm not afraid to die because I have enjoyed the pleasures of this world. I have been the envy of all. I have had all my desires for fulfilled and I have been completely honorable. And it's you people who haven't really honored Dharma and you've been goaded on by Krishna himself and all of this. I was reading this and thinking about it this afternoon. There's so many people that you meet in your life whose reasoning is just completely in a circle. And it doesn't make any difference how self-serving and self-justifying it is in their own eyes, it just all comes together. I mean, I've met it so many times with good people. If you're not ready to understand something, you simply won't understand it. And you'll be in conversation with such a person and they will simply be completely convinced. And there's really nothing at all you can say, nothing that you can do. You just have to wait until such time as it, it comes clear. I'm, I myself have been guilty of it, and I've seen it in others. Duryodhana is the epitome of this. There he is. He just, even in the last moment, he's accusing others of wrong actions, declaring himself completely innocent. And in a certain way, he followed his path, and he followed it with power. He had many fine qualities, because even bad people have good qualities. He was generous, he was loyal to his friends, he gave much away in charity, you know, he, he took care of those who were close to him. It was just the Pandavas he had a lot of trouble with. See, that's the way it is with um, materialism, lack of spirituality. On its own terms, it looks just fine, but it, it precludes this whole other dimension of life. That's where 
when Swamiji once remarked about someone that, you know, they were a good person in every way except they weren't spiritual. And Master just dismissed that kind of goodness. You know, the only goodness that really counts in the end is devotion to God. That's how Master was responding. Now, Master was responding strongly because he wanted Swami to understand that. It's not enough just to live in this world in a materialistic way. You have to really give yourself to God. And so Duryodhana had all those good qualities, but in the end, it was going to serve him for nothing. So um, now, the Pandavas now go, the five Pandavas go to the camp of the Kauravas because now they're the victors, and they go camp out there. They leave their 